Welcome to the You Love and You Learn podcast, the place to learn about all things love, relationships, relationship anxiety, and to deconstruct the one-size-fits-all narrative of what it means to be in a happy relationship. I'm your host, Sarah Yudkin, a relationship anxiety coach who's on a mission to discuss the nuances of love and relationships that I wish someone would have shared with me years ago. My goal with each episode is for you to leave with an expanded definition of love and relationships and with practices to carry with you in your life and relationships on a day-to-day basis. I'm so grateful to have you here. Welcome back to another episode. I'm really excited to bring you this guest conversation that I had with Kimberly Quinlan, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist who is dedicated to providing outstanding therapy and counseling for those with OCD and anxiety. And she's also passionate about advocating for those who experience mental health challenges. And I really loved this conversation. I reached out to Kimberly because I heard a podcast of hers where she talked about five relationship rules that changed her life. And I loved them. I thought they were so relevant and so necessary to talk through. And so that's what our conversation is about today. I think you're going to learn a lot from what she shares, and not only is she a therapist, but she's been married for 20 years, and so I know that she comes with a lot of personal wisdom from her lived experiences. So without further ado, let's get into this week's episode. Hi, Kimberly. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's great to be here with you. And really what inspired this podcast conversation was one of your episodes that I heard. And it was about five rules that have really helped you in your relationship. And that really resonated with me. And I knew that it would resonate with listeners and people in my community. So I'm excited to have you on to talk about that today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So before we get into that, I'm curious just to know a little bit more about like how you grew up thinking about love and relationships. Like what was modeled to you or what were the things that you picked up from society about how love and relationships, how they're supposed to work and, you know, what you carried into your marriage? Ah, oh, so much to say. Um, I think the main points were that it was my job to make everybody happy Um, It was my job to be a bright, shiny person um, and you shouldn't take up a lot of space and you you definitely shouldn't be dramatic and ask for too many needs to be taken care of, like a lot of that kind of model. Not that so much that it was told to me, it's just somehow that's what I took on as my role. Um, And... My parents never fought in front of me ever. Like they just didn't. They seemed to always just have this very safe relationship, which I'm so grateful for, but I had never witnessed a fight, which meant that I went into my marriage really having no idea how to fight, no Mm -hmm. idea how to communicate my discontent with things or like, again, like, and again, you could say like, that was so lucky, but it really didn't help me. You you know, we think that providing your kids with a, a relationship that doesn't fight is a good thing, but I really needed that modeling more than anything. Yeah, definitely. And he used a powerful word discontent. I love the word content, which I had to look up what it meant because I think people think that content is somehow bad. Like, oh, you should be over the moon all the time. Mm -hmm. And your relationship so content is like, meh, no biggie. But 
it means peacefully happy. And I feel like that's such a cool definition, but discontent is kind of the absence of content, of course, or maybe even frustrated with things. And I think that word is a word that a lot of people who listen to this and a lot of people that resonate with my experience would think is a bad sign. If you're feeling Mm -hmm. any discontent in a relationship, or if you're having moments or dynamics in a relationship that lead to you feeling discontent, well, maybe that means that you shouldn't be with this person or you shouldn't Mm -hmm. be in that relationship. So talk to me a little bit more about how that word has shown up for you and what you've learned through being discontent in your own relationship. Yeah, I think I... Given that it was modeled to me, they seemed to be always on the same page. When I first got married, I've now been married for 20 years. I got married very young. When the sort of imperfection showed up with my partner, I freaked out. Like I was like, this is not how it's supposed to go. We are supposed to be on the same page about all the things. It was very scary for me. And then add on to that, this idea that you have this thing you don't particularly like about them or that you're not content about or you're concerned about. I had really no skills to bring up how to talk about that. And I was very unskillful in how I handled that, if I'm being completely honest too, in being quite judgmental in in my communication with my partner or making them feel very bad for the choices that they've made just because they're different to mine. And I think a piece of the puzzle too was I still to this day, but I'm so much better, often fall into the trap of thinking that because I don't agree, I must be right and that they must be wrong. (laughs) And it's been a long journey of me understanding my own discontent and taking responsibility for that without posing judgment onto my partner as if they're wrong for being the way that they are. Mm. Yeah, that's so powerful. Thank you for sharing that. That really felt like a permission slip for me that like, it's okay to still have to work through some skills and that you can definitely grow in these categories, but also Mm -hmm. that sometimes your discontent has nothing to do with your partner, which is a belief that I share. So I really appreciate that. And it kind of ties nicely into some of these relationship rules that changed your life. So Let's get into some of those. There's five of them. And the first one was, it is not your job or my job to manage our family's emotions. So what does Mm. that mean? Well, I took on, and I think we as women take on this idea that it's our job to contain other people's emotions. It's our job to influence their emotions so that I should show up in a certain way So they don't have to have their feelings about it, Mm. right? I need to show up in a way so that I don't, they don't have to experience disappointment. I have to show up in a certain way so that they don't experience shame or guilt or sadness or anxiety. My job and it's my responsibility to, to not create any negative emotions for them. And it wasn't until we, I actually, we, my husband and I went to couples therapy, which I am a huge proponent for. You don't have to be on the rocks. You don't have to be nearly divorced to go to couples therapy. It's like a gift that you can give each other. But I learned that it's not my job to prevent my family from having negative emotions or my partner from having negative emotion. For me, when I had to embrace this, I had to experience a lot of my own emotions 
my own anxiety about it in the process of letting them have their emotions. And it's not my job to, you know, manage them or prevent them from having emotions. They are allowed to have them and that's their job to manage them. It's not mine. Mm, Yeah. It's almost as if maybe prior to this lesson clicking, you took on this sense of it's my fault if they have emotions and I, I can be guilty of this too. Like there's almost like this blame element to it versus this is their emotions and I have my own and together we will both manage and regulate them. Is that kind of yeah. what happened? Yeah. yeah. The way that I now conceptualize it and I explain it to my clients is this. I always say to them, we ha- our only job is to stay in our lane. So imagine you're on a highway and you're in your car and you get to pick your car, you get to pick the color of your car, you get to pick what music's playing in the car, you get to decide whether it's a clean car or a dirty car, like all the things. And your partner or your family are in their car in the next lane. They're right there. You're driving at the same pace, but they get to pick their car. They get to pick what music they play. And it's not my job to manage their car and whether they clean their car or how they feel about my car, they might be in their lane going, why did she pick the red car? She should have picked the blue car or whatever. They're allowed to have their feelings about my lane and my job is to stay in my lane and take responsibility for my lane. They get to have their feelings about my car. So would you say that the first step to that would be learning how to take responsibility for and manage your own emotions versus worrying about what your partner is doing. Cause I think even that can be a challenge, right? Like that's something that I'm still very much practicing when I notice myself having an emotional reaction or feeling flustered by something, making sure that I'm the one that's coaching myself through that or tending to that. And of course my partner can support me, but I think it is still this challenge to know that, okay, this is my role. So how do Mm -hmm. people start being more responsible, not in a blaming way, but how do they start taking ownership of that emotion if they're having that emotional response? Yeah. So once, once we can determine that you're in your lane and theirs, they're in theirs, and we get to do this together, it's not like they're going in a different direction. Then we get to really unfold all of this sort of messiness. So if I were to let go of this idea of managing their lane, then I have this opportunity to work through my feelings about that. And a lot of it is you building a a wider window of tolerance for having your own emotions. Most of the time for me, I wasn't managing their emotions because they told me I'm not allowed to have emotions. I was trying to manage their emotions because if I created negative emotions in them, I also had to feel a lot of negative emotions about myself creating negative emotions for them. I had to feel a sense of guilt for it, or I'm a bad girl, or I'm naughty, or all these childhood sort of beliefs that there's something wrong with me, that I'm being dramatic by allowing them to have their feelings about me. So it's sort of once you start to unweave this big messy yarn ball that I had created, I had to be like, okay, they get to have their feelings. It's not my job to manage their feelings. It's my job to manage my feelings about that. 
-hmm. And that's where it's a lot of compassion work, giving yourself a lot of grace for the fact that you have these feelings that, that you're not perfect, that it's, you know, again, giving yourself a lot of grace for our imperfection. That is where we do that work. Yeah. I'm a big fan of self-compassion work as well. So thanks for bringing that component in. Mm. And this kind of ties in nicely to the second point too, which you just said, sometimes I would feel guilty or bad or naughty if I disappointed my partner, but you shared in this second rule that changed your life, that it is not your job to please the people you are in a relationship with. So Mm. Talk to me a little bit more about that. It's clear from your story that you did come in with that expectation of I have to please and make sure everything is okay. But not only is it not our job to manage people's emotion, but it's not our job to please them either. So what's the difference between those two rules for you? Well, again, the pleasing piece is often comes from, there could be so many societal reasons we feel like we have to please people, particularly in a relationship, whether you're in, you know, any sexual orientation or any kind of relationship. Okay. So we're not just speaking about heterosexual relationships here either. Often, particularly as women, but men too, in different ways, feel that it's their job to earn their partner's love to earn their partner's commitment to them that we if we have to show up a certain way to to make them stay right we have to show up a certain way and please them very in this very calculated way that if i please them well therefore i can you know a lot of women will say if i please them in a b and c way well then you know i'm allowed to go and have alone time by myself if that's what they need or i'm allowed to get my needs met it's that's very this very transactional way of seeing things that I have to earn my my value in this relationship now that's not to say that yes you still have to show up in a relationship and and you know really commit and put your effort into a relationship of course Mm -hmm. but we have to sort of look at that transaction that I have to please them and ask yourself if I weren't constantly pleasing them what am I afraid will happen am I afraid that they'll pull away from me am I afraid that they'll be angry at me am I afraid that they'll withdraw something you know withdraw love or permission or something. And so we can really look at that and see where our own anxiety and our own rules for being in a relationship is. The other piece here is often when we're in a people-pleasing pattern in our relationship, we're trying to control something that actually needs to be looked at at the relationship, right? An example might be, let's say your partner or you disagree on something. And so you're kind of giving in for the sake of not having to have an argument and not having conflict. That's okay. We don't have to always have conflict, but if you're really giving up your own values and you're constantly putting yourself second for the sake of avoiding arguments, you're really getting in the way of actually building trust in this relationship, building a relationship that has a foundation where you both get your needs met. And so we we really want to look at that instinct to please or fawn in relationship fawn being a safety behavior where we just try and take care of them and make them happy so that we don't have to handle our own anxiety 
Mm, yeah, that's a really great point about that. What would you say then would be that difference between healthy compromise in a relationship and a healthy balance of like, let's meet each other's needs collaboratively versus when you're fawning or people pleasing and perhaps sacrificing a value of yours. Is there a way to check in on that? Yes. It's, it's based on the intention. A fawning behavior, a people pleasing behavior is often fueled by the intention of fear. You're afraid of something will happen. You're coming from a place of worry and fear that bad things will happen or that this relationship cannot hold space for you. And it often comes where there's a repetitive nature to the fawning and that you've done it enough times in the same area that maybe you're starting to feel resentful, you're starting to feel angry, unseen, unappreciated. So this, you'll start to notice these other emotions building up. And that's often when you can identify that you're fawning. Whereas compromise and meeting in the middle comes from a place of intention of mutual respect, the genuine wish for them to have their needs met or their genuine wish, wish for them to be happy, but also from a place where you're you're also somehow meeting your own needs or you can see the compromise on their side as well. It mightn't be even 50-50 all the time. An example might be there are times when my husband does get his way, mm-hmm. right? But the, the I, there are other times where I get my way and that's how it's even. We're not mm-hmm. saying we have to meet in the middle 50% that you get 50% of mm-hmm. yours and you get 50% of yours in this one instinct, it could, as long as there's somewhat of a balance. But I think it's really important to keep an eye out for, like I said, those other emotions like resent um, is a big one. Anger showing up towards your p- partner, a feeling of you're wanting to pull away from them because you feel hurt by them. These are often ways that we can identify that we are engaging in too much people pleasing or fawning. Mm, Yeah. And without going on too much of a tangent here, I just, this question just came to me, but I feel like those words of anger and resentment, those are also such big things that people might experience in a relationship. And sometimes it's subtle, like it builds up over time. And then you realize, oh, wow, like I'm really angry or resentful about this thing, but other times it's more immediate that you would notice it, I guess. But is there a first step if someone realizes they're starting to build up some resentment towards their partner? Is it about communication? Is it about collaborating together? How does, how do you begin unraveling some of that resentment? From my experience, resentment is a sign it's a flag. It's a way of identifying an unmet need. Now, again, we're going to talk about being in lanes here. So quite often, I'll tell you a personal experience here, is I have had seasons in my marriage of extreme resent, particularly around having children. And often when I experience resent, I would go to my partner and like lose it right? Get so angry and be like, you're not doing this and you're not doing that. And that's okay, right? Like resent is a normal part of every relationship. It's normal. We don't need to hype. We don't need to pathologize anyone for having this emotion. It's okay to have resent and it's okay to go to your partner and express that resent in a skillful way, but I wouldn't be doing skillful. I would go and I just lose it completely. And what I have found through a lot of therapy in this area is the sign of resentment 
can be a a flag or a little sign that your partner needs to be doing something different. But more often than not, it was a sign that I needed to be doing something different, that I wasn't taking care of myself. It's so Mm -hmm. easy when we're in resent to say it's them, that they should be doing, they should be driving their car differently, metaphorically. They need to drive closer to me or further. And then we need to have the windows down and be talking the whole time metaphorically. But what I really have found over and over again is when resent shows up, my first question is, what is it that I'm not tending to for me? How can I take care of myself? Going back to people pleasing, how often have I taken charge of something that I could have asked my partner to take care of, or I could have delegated to somebody or gotten a resource, but instead, again, because I thought it was my job to manage my family's emotions and because I thought it was my job to make everyone happy, I just kept taking on things and taking on things and doing things and saying yes to things when I really should have been saying no. So a lot of times when resent, I have learned first to ask myself, what do I need? And and really exploring that first. Yeah, that's really helpful. And it was an example in this second rule that you gave where it's not your job to please the people in your relationship with. You said something along the lines of, if my partner would do ABC, then I can be happy. And Mm. you said like, it can be, there's some truth to it, but also not. And I think that's a really good example of what you just shared where it's like, yes, maybe your partner doing more of these things could have balanced something out, but also it doesn't take away the fact that you all still have to take care of yourself. So it's not as simple as my partner changing everything will make me happier or I'll change everything about how I act and my partner will be happier. It's still back to that personal responsibility piece, which I think is so important. Yeah. Yeah. And that's hard. It's really hard to take ownership of your own self-care and your own happiness. It's very easy to go into like, if you would just do this different, we would be fine. And there's still some, we've got to have those communications, communication so important, but it, it is, it does have to keep coming back to, again, that compassion piece. What is it that I need? How can I take care of myself? How can I be the first person I go to when things are really hard? That has been so important for me in the last 20 years of my marriage. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. The third rule is they are allowed to have their feelings about our choices. So talk to me a little bit more about that one, either from your own experience or what you've seen with clients. What does that mean? Yeah. Well, these kind of build on themselves, right? So first I had to sort of accept that I don't have to manage their emotions. And then I had to accept that I couldn't please them, which then means, okay, so they're going to have some feelings about you, right? That doesn't sound fun. <laughs> I hated that part of the work, right? <laughs> and it, and I would, at the beginning, when I had to let them have their, you know, I wasn't managing their feelings, I had to then witness that they have feelings and I wanted to get mad at them for that. Like, how, you know, how could you be mad at me for this or this decision I made or until I really had to say, okay, you get to have your feelings and there's a letting go that happens there of, okay, there's a beauty here too, because for me, uh, especially as someone who still like, I have to admit, like 
I hate having feelings. If there was a way I didn't have to have them, I would Mm -hmm. opt in for that. So when they had their feelings, my first response is like, no, you shouldn't be having them. I don't want to have them. Let's just find a way not to have them. But really giving them permission, like I'm giving you permission to have your feelings and I'm giving you permission to have your feelings about me and my decisions, the person I chose, the for me, it was a big part about the country I live in. I'm Australian, but I live in America. I married an American. So I had to really let go and say, I'm going to let you have your feelings about it. I give you permission to have your feelings and I'm not going to change them. I might not even apologize for them. I just, I'm going to give you permission to have your feelings. And I think there's a really beautiful respect to that. And then they get to go and handle them however they want. And we have to accept it, right? They mightn't handle their emotions even well. And we get to we get to give them permission to have their emotions. Mm. It's refreshing to hear you just kind of be like, if I could opt out of my feelings, I would. Sometimes. I would be at the front of the line. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes yeah. I feel that way too. And it's one of those like, kind of, oh man, you know, sometimes I begrudgingly practice tuning into them versus trying to fix or get rid of them. But I I always notice when I do give myself that space, they end up passing faster and I don't do it just to make them pass. But I think it's, it's helpful to know when you are trying to resist the feelings and notice that pattern of them becoming even more big and tangled. And sometimes when you just surrender and let it happen it can actually move a lot easier through your system and you build a mastery with it right you build a mastery with these feelings it the same goes for me as I have being someone who has a podcast or being someone on social media is not everyone likes me that was really hard for me to swallow because I thought of myself I think of myself as like a lovely person and I only want to help and I my intentions are good and then when I started on even social media to have people who didn't like me. My first instinct was be like, how could you not like me? I'm a good person. Until again, I had to say they're allowed to have their feelings about me. I'm not for everyone. I'm not for everyone. And I'm going to, again, give them permission, give the world permission that I'm going to be liked by most people, but there will be people who just don't like me for reasons I may never understand. Yeah. It was really funny, actually, like little personal story. As I was preparing for this episode today, I was reading through the five rules again, and it was top of mind. And I was really looking forward to chatting with you. And I think you're lovely. So there's that. But someone left me a a pretty snarky, I would say, comment on social media, and I happened to see it today. And this was top of mind. And so even though it was uncomfortable and I still have that reaction of, oh, man, like that doesn't feel great remembering they're allowed to have their feelings was it just came right at the perfect time so I really appreciate you sharing that as well that sometimes it comes up in your work not just in your relationships too yeah I think it's important to to not take it personally and I know it's so easy to say that but let me explain a little more early in my marriage to my husband if you were speaking with him and you sort of interrupted him he would get very very upset he would take it really, He it would feel very disrespectful. And I used to get very annoyed by this and, and be like, take it personally. Like, you think I'm like a disrespectful person. You think mm-hmm. I'm rude. Like, 
how would you think that it's, you know, it was just a human mistake. How could, until I realized it's not personal. He had a particular experience in his childhood where someone would cut him off. And it was an experience he had that he, he has a very tenderness to that situation. It wasn't personal about me. It was a reflection of something he'd been through. And it's important. I always do remember that with other people. If someone doesn't like me or a family member has their feelings about me, it doesn't inherently mean I'm bad or I'm wrong. It's more often a reflection of something that they've been through, something that's important to them, that touches on a tenderness. It Again, our job is not to take it all personally. If I was wearing, let's say I was wearing a purple t-shirt and someone was like, I hate your t-shirt. Again, it's not because I'm bad for wearing a purple t-shirt. They may have had an experience where purple t-shirts is very jarring to them as a silly example. Mm -hmm. And so often with this concept, I have to keep reminding that other people's feelings about things is a reflection of them, not particularly a reflection of us. Not to say we have to take responsibility if we've messed up, but to, again, give them permission to have their own likes and dislikes. It doesn't mean it's personal. Mm -hmm. That's a really good example. I like the purple t-shirt one, but I can totally get what you mean. Like on a more personal level too, it's hard to sometimes detach from that. And if you, let's say that came up and back in the day, rewind, you and your partner were talking to your husband and you accidentally interrupted something he was saying, and he became frustrated. If you in this present day moment could go back and tell yourself when you're feeling that discomfort, because you feel like he thinks that you're rude or that you did something bad, what would be like, is it a cognitive tool that you would use to respond to yourself to tend to that, like in the self-compassion type lens? Or would it be more of like a somatic body-based tool that you would take some space and like breathe through it? Like how would you handle the discomfort that came from feeling like you took something personally? Yeah. The tool that I had to learn was a single word and the word is and. See, in my mind, it didn't make sense that he was upset because in my mind, I'm a good person. I didn't do anything wrong. It was a human mistake. In his mind, it's disrespectful and he felt unseen and unheard. So someone had to be right. It's either he's right or I'm right. And we would go head to head on this. But I had to learn the word and, which is his experience is true and real and my experience is true and real. It's not one or the other. And I can make space again for him having his experience, his emotions about it. And that doesn't take away my experience of it. Both can exist at the same time. And giving him permission to have his feelings about it, giving me permission to have my feelings about it, and having it be okay that they don't match was a big piece mm. of me because that stubborn piece in me was like, no, we're going to argue this one out until I prove to you that I'm wrong and you're right because I can't tolerate the fact that you have your emotions about it and it's that it doesn't line up with mine. Yeah. Nate, my fiance will sometimes say you're right and I'm right or yeah. you're wrong and I'm wrong, yeah. which kind of is a playful way of just being like, yeah, like there's no point in, in going in this circle. So thanks for yeah. sharing your experience with that. All right. On to rule number four. It is okay if they struggle 
to understand us. And in the relationship anxiety world, it's a very common thing to hear a client or to hear someone saying they don't get me or they don't understand me. So does that mean like we're not meant to be because the person that would get me or understand me or my soulmate like would just know what I'm thinking or they would just know what I need right now. So talk to me a little bit more about how you came to this understanding that you don't have to be perfectly understood, I guess, by your Mm. partner. Yeah. See, again, we got, when we think of understanding, we often go to who's right or wrong. That's not what this is about. So when I say it's okay, if they don't understand us, what I'm really saying is it's okay if they inherently disagree and can't figure out why you are the way you are right? That's okay. And again, we don't have to be understood in order for our experience and our truth to still be our truth. We don't have to be understood. I've fallen into this trap. I know a lot of us do where when we don't see eye to eye, we kind of feel like we want them to get it Mm. and that will validate our opinion and we'll feel validated and we can move on. But again, they're not going to understand something that they don't understand that they haven't got the cognitive ability to understand or they haven't had the experience. Mental health is a big one here, right? If you're going through some, a mental health struggle, it's going to be very hard to get someone to understand if they've actually never been through it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we can feel unseen and unheard because they don't understand, but we have to give them permission that they won't understand. And how, but again, how can we still receive from them even despite the fact that they don't understand? Can we be flexible enough to still be in relation with them without the understanding piece? Especially if you're someone who's sort of more anxiously attached or you're someone who's quite sensitive, sometimes we can, it can feel very hurtful to not be understood. It can feel like a hurtful experience. And I have been in that position myself, but I had to do a lot of work and it was a lot of my own personal work of saying again, like I give you permission to not understand and still I'm going to open my heart and be vulnerable with you despite that. Yeah. I really like that. That's a, a helpful phrase of like, I, I give you permission, but I'm still going to be vulnerable. And similarly, but slightly different. What I just brought up is that notion of wanting our partner to kind of anticipate our needs, like that's another definition of understanding is like, well, they would just fully understand and anticipate kind of how I would expect to show up in this moment, or I want them to say the right thing, or I want them to plan the right date night, whatever it is. How have you found over the course of your 20 year marriage that you have learned to collaborate more with your husband? Like, was it something where you just kind of got each other right off the bat? Or was there a lot of work to communicate and really get in each other's mind? No, not at all. This did not come easy for me. Again, as someone who was a people pleaser and was sort of like, I don't, I'm not even going to ask for my needs. This has been a long journey. A couple things here. I have learned a few things. They may, again, for everyone listening, take what you like and leave the rest because this there's no one way to be in relationships. So I really want to offer that. I have learned a couple things about getting my needs met. Number one is it's so much more effective to just ask them instead of tell them what they're not doing well. 
I have done, I've tried the latter and it doesn't work so well <laughs> to go to a partner and say, you don't do this. You don't do that. It can be very defeating for them. It can be very disheartening for them. It's a much better statement to go to them. First, you have to identify what it is that you need and then go to them and ask, do you have the capacity to A, B, and C? right? Do you have the capacity today? And ask because there will be days where they do have the capacity and there will be days where they don't. And that's not because they don't love you. They don't value you. It's because some days we don't have the capacity for things because life is hard. And this is a difficult season for so many people. And we don't want to take their no as a no forever. And if they can't meet our needs, then we go into how can I take care of myself given that they couldn't do the thing I needed them to do? So I don't know if that answers your question, but that has been a huge piece of the work for me. And still to this day, being in acceptance, going back to, again, is really being in acceptance that our partner won't meet all of our needs. Social media and movies have made us believe that it should be kumbaya all the time and we should be in this rhythm. And that's just, as a marriage and family therapist, that is just not true of any relationship. It's bumpy. I've read a lot about marriage. I've listened to a lot of people talk about marriage. And a lot of them say like, Marriage is just deciding over and over and over again to stay married. In many cases, it's not always going to be easy. There's going to be so many difficult seasons. And to maybe lower the bar a little bit in terms of not expecting it to be perfect all the time. Yeah, definitely. And the a couple of things I just jotted down that you said, I think were so important of identifying what you need, because sometimes... I will be guilty of this where I'm just like, oh, well, that wasn't what I expected, but I didn't even clarify what I expected or like, I don't yeah. actually have something mm -hmm. that I'm sure of. For example, oh, if Nate and I aren't spending enough time together in air quotes, it's like, okay, well, what amount of time do I need and what activity do I need? And then I can probably communicate that to him and he would be on board. But if mm -hmm. I'm just kind of sulking being like, oh, we haven't hung out in a while. It's like, that's not very helpful. So yeah. I love that permission slip to ask for what you need, even though it's less sexy, maybe like, yes, our mm -hmm. partners aren't mind readers. And then also that permission slip of knowing that your partner won't meet your needs all the time. Because I do think that unfortunately has been through rom-coms or whatever it is, like, I think that narrative has seeped into our culture a lot. So mm -hmm. thank you for those. Yeah. Yes. All right. So last one, which I think is very interesting. Um, I'm only seven years compared to 20 into my relationship. And I think this last one touches on stuff that is probably going to happen a lot more for me in our future, which is that you get to, and they get to change their mind or change just as a person, period. And I can imagine that over the last 20 years, you and your husband have had a lot of changes and seasons. So what is something you noticed from all of that change? Or what are some of the key things that maybe have changed and you wouldn't have anticipated? Yeah, this is so, this could be a whole episode in and of itself because it plays out in so many ways. The reason I originally wrote this in this podcast was as you embark on this idea of not managing your family's emotions and not people pleasing and allowing people to have 
their experience, you will change. You will, you will be presented differently. And sometimes your family or your partner will go, you're changed. You've changed. You're, you're doing things differently now. And that can disrupt the family rhythm. So I want, I wrote that originally to say, it's okay if they notice that you've changed because you, in order to break free of all of this mess that we can get ourselves in with people pleasing and trying to manage, we do have to change and that's okay. And it's okay that they see us differently. It's okay that we see them differently. Sometimes as you do this work, you start to see people for who they really are. And that can be pretty scary too. Mm -hmm. So there's one piece of it. The other piece in terms of in relationship is yes, when we go into a relationship, when we start get married, we just assume we're going to be in this parallel journey together, but it doesn't work like that. They will change dramatically and that's okay. It can be scary, but it it is okay. It's a really about being curious about this new person we're seeing, right? Mm-hmm. It's being curious about, they might come to you and say, I want to change career. And that's really scary because you've had this very steady income. And all of a sudden this change means that you mightn't, or they might change in that they, for my husband and I, I will say the biggest example here is he is a serial hobbyist. He loves hobbies and changes them. So he'll start one hobby, he's fully in, and then he'll be like, I mastered that moving on. And for me, it was so disruptive because I'm like, no, no, we're going this way. And I had to work really hard at not blaming him for my emotions Mm. because it would create some anxiety for me. I'm not going to lie. And then I would get angry. Like your behavior is creating anxiety in me. And I had to say, no, he gets to change his mind. And it's my job to manage my anxiety about that. Yeah. Now it would be different. And I want to also say it would be different if your partner is starting to engage in risky behavior that putting you or your family at risk. I'm not talking about that, but really from what I've learned, relationships is really just taking a curious walk with someone and just watching and seeing what unfolds. That can be scary, but it can also be really beautiful. Definitely. And you even use that phrase earlier, like you might see who someone really is, which can be definitely like, oh, well, who is this person and how do I know that? But I guess going off of that phrase of who someone really is, how do you know if a change that you're witnessing is something that you can kind of accept as, all right, this is a change and I want to support the marriage, support the relationship, support this person by accepting that change? Or how do you know if the change is veering into a value clash or a sacrifice for yourself. I think that would be something that I'm super curious about just because I grew up and I saw my parents get a divorce, for example. And so you never know, like people always say growing apart, growing together. I think change is one of those things that can be uncomfortable for so many and learning how to change as a team, I'm sure is much different than if you're changing and going in these opposite directions. So any thoughts on that would be Great. Right. Well, you really hit the nail on the head, which is as a team. If there's no communication in the change, that can be very frightening. If they're saying, I'm doing this without, I don't care what you think. You know, I don't, I'm not considering your feelings. I'm not considering how this is feeling for you. 
that's going to create a, a massive distrust, a massive sever in that attunement with each other. And that's, it's usually not the change that breaks people up. It's the attunement, the lack of attunement that happens in those experiences. So I think what's really important is that you're having open dialogue, you're sharing both your concerns and, and being open and honest about how it's impacting you, but then still um, if for you, if you're still wanting to support them, you're committed in the relationship, you're wishing for them to be well and happy, you're giving them permission to drive in their own car and, and have their car be the way that they want, then that would be that direction. Whereas if it does really clash with your values, well, then definitely reach out and have, you know, work with a couples therapist and see if you can get some resolution there. There's no right way. There's no right way of knowing Again, I have found that marriage is, again, the dis- just the decision every day to stay together, even when it's tough. We've had very, very difficult seasons where we weren't sure how it would end. I'm not going to lie. He would say the same thing. It's okay that you also have those seasons too. That's also very normal in any marriage to have seasons where you're really not certain about where this is going. I think it's important that we get our own therapy. We we learn to regulate ourselves. We learn to take care of ourselves so that we can weather those times if you're still choosing to stay in the relationship and it's okay if you're not. Yeah. Yeah. You said somewhere in the podcast, something along the lines of none of this is easy. It's hard work and it takes a lot of energy. And I know that the goal of people who love rom-coms or, you know, the the kind of social media algorithm these days, I feel like the story is have something that's easy, effortless. Like if you have to work too hard, then you're in the wrong relationship. And it's always really affirming to me when I talk to people who are in longer term relationships versus maybe someone that's on the algorithm and I see like maybe they just got together or something mm-hmm. like that, you know, it, it's yeah. affirming to to know that it doesn't always come easy because for me, it hasn't always come easy to open my heart and be able to give and receive love. And I'm sure that for most people, it's not easy, but every so often you get those people who, for whatever reason, how they've grown up in their life, it's felt a little bit more easy for them. And Mm -hmm. I have to remember not to compare my journey to someone else's because everything in my past led me to show up the way I do now. Exactly. Yeah. It's okay for it to be imperfect. We're all healing from little wounds relationally, you know, as we go. So absolutely. Um, The other thing I will say about, you know, you get to change your mind is this is also within one conversation, right? There have been many conversations I've had with my partner or family members where mid-sentence they're like, no, I changed my mind. I said that, but I don't actually mean that. And that's okay too. Mm, yeah little just like little permission slips for the moment too because I'm sometimes the person where if you said something to me an hour ago then I want it to be the follow through on that exact thing but flexibility is such an important relationship skill so all right beautiful well I have a couple final questions that I ask all my guests and the first one and I'm so curious to hear your answer since you've been married now for 20 years is what have you learned about love? Because this is the Love and You Learn podcast. I like to ask all my guests. I have learned that love is the opposite of fear. 
as an anxious person, I used to think the opposite of fear was having no fear, but I actually learned loving myself and loving others is the perfect solution to fear. And it's gotten me through some really scary times. So that would be the biggest one. The, the other thing I would say is I think we've also romanticized love. And so much of love from my perspective has been just, again, the decision to keep my heart open. It's not warm and fuzzy. It's actually the decision to just keep my heart open over and over and over again. Beautiful. I love what you said about love being the opposite of fear. And the way I interpreted it was like as an action, like when you're in fear, actually cutting through some of that fear can be to choose a loving action, which I know can be scary. And sometimes it doesn't feel fully authentic, even in those moments, I'm sure for people, but just to make the choice, how can I love myself in this moment? How can I love somebody else? And that can be a really good way to cut through it. So thanks for sharing that. And I'm sure people want to learn more about you and your work and stay connected. So where can they find you or reach you or learn more about what you're doing? Sure. So I have a podcast called Your Anxiety Toolkit. Uh, We talk all about tools, mindfulness, self-compassion for all types of anxiety, both, both mild and very severe. I have, you can find me on social media at Your Anxiety Toolkit. And I also have a private practice in Calabasas, California, where I have eight therapists that work for me and we see people with anxiety disorders. So yeah, that's where you can also, I have a whole bunch of online courses for different anxiety disorders at cbtschool.com. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Kimberly. I learned a lot from this conversation. It was great to chat with you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Love and You Learn podcast. If you've been enjoying the podcast, it would mean the absolute world to me if you could rate and review the podcast because the more ratings and reviews there are, the more people that can hear this message. And it's really important to me to get this message out to the world and to create a space where people can learn about love and relationships in a way that is not judgmental, in a way that helps them expand their perspective from the cultural narratives that we've heard and seen in the movies and in Hollywood and the media. And the more ratings and reviews that are there, the more people that can hear this message. So thank you again so much. It really means the world to me that you are listening and see you in the next episode.